Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. It's a long passage, so uh, bear with me. Um, from Acts 8, um, chapter 8, verses 4 to 8. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all pay, paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And then jumping to verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he made an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of it, all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a, a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and tells him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared as as Azotius and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So now I'll just pray for Steve before before he speaks to us. Father God, thank you for your word and what we can learn through it. I pray that you speak to us and speak through Steve um, as we prepare to hear from your word. Um, In your name I pray. Amen. 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 Lovely to be with you. And you're all welcome to put on those fingerless gloves and come see something with me in January. Uh, That would be a pleasure rather than a would you rather. Uh, If I haven't met you, nice to uh, semi-meet you and hopefully we'll get to meet each other soon. On the 16th of May onwards, we'll be physical services. Looking forward uh, to that. A desire that I think is common to all people, certainly to me, I, I wonder if it's a desire that you have, is a desire to be useful. Um, I think we, we all want to be useful, don't we? We want to we make a difference. Growing up and still to this day, I avidly enjoy and read uh, many biographies of Christians in the past who have been used, been useful, made a difference for God. 
Martin Luther, Corrie ten Boom, George Whitfield, Brother Andrew, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, Charles Spurgeon, John Stott, the list goes, I just love them. I've got three more that I've just recently ordered. I'm going to read. I long to be useful to God. I wonder, do you long to be useful to him too? One of the great joys when you read the book of Acts, the, the account of the early church after Jesus ascended to heaven, is that it is clear that God wants and plans for everyone to be useful. His mission, his church, and his plans for this world involve all Christians, not just special Christians, not just elite Christians, whatever that might mean, not just paid Christians, not just well-educated, theologically learned Christians, all Christians are to be used by God. And today we get to consider one of those ordinary Christians. We've looked at Stephen. He was just, he wasn't an apostle. We've now looking at Philip. He wasn't an apostle, just an ordinary Christian. And Philip was mightily used by God to reach the Samaritans and this Ethiopian eunuch. And the key to what I want to say today is the reason Philip was used by God was that he was available to God. We cannot be useful to God if we're not available to God. So Philip teaches us what it is to be available. And available and useful for what, you might ask? If I'm going to be used, how might I be used? If I'm making myself available, how might God use my availability? The reason Philip was greatly used is that the Holy Spirit empowered him for evangelism, to make known the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to non-believers. And that's what God has for all of us. He wants to use us in evangelism, every Christian. I know we have different personalities, gifts, and temperaments. I know. I know some of you have had bad experiences of evangelism on the receiving end of it or trying to give it, as it could say. I know we need to define what evangelism is and maybe more importantly, what it isn't. I know we need to be culturally sensitive and consider the best way to evangelize. In fact, today we're going to look at that. I know our culture tells us to keep the truth to ourselves and not to proselytize others. I know. I know that some of you and me too, because of our culture, stance on Christianity, it can be scary to evangelize and open our mouths and speak about Jesus, or we might be rejected, or we might sort of not know what to say when the tricky question comes. I know, I know, I know, I feel it. I feel it, do you? I know. But the Bible says, Jesus says this at the start of the book of Acts, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God's plan for his church, for all Christians, followers of Jesus, is that we would be sharers of the gospel with those that don't know Jesus. Philip gives us a great example of what it means to be available to God, to be used in evangelism. So here's my message. Here's the message that the Holy Spirit wants to give us. The Holy Spirit wants to give us power to be available, point one, ready, point two, to be used by God for evangelism, point three. Now, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, and this is why you're not a follower, because Christians go around telling everyone and you're a bit put off by that. Well, firstly, thanks for coming. That's gutsy of you. I really appreciate it. Secondly, I actually think this is the message you need to hear. For, for, here's the reason. Everyone is doing evangelism in our culture. 
It's not just Christians who try to evangelize. Everyone's evangelizing. In other words, everyone's trying to say, uh, this is the truth you should believe. So when our culture tells us Christians, you shouldn't proselytize us, they are proselytizing us by telling us what we should and shouldn't do. Do you see? Everyone does evangelism. You can't avoid it. Everyone's trying to persuade everyone else of what's right and wrong and how to live their lives. The fact that Christians are told to shut up is the culture evangelizing us. So we've got to think, well, what does it mean to do evangelism? And this is the, the, the Christian view with gentleness and respect. And why, what message do we have that we think our culture needs to hear? So if you're here today, you don't follow Jesus, and you might find the word evangelism offensive, I hope today will help you. Stay with me to the end and then get in contact if you did still find it offensive. Okay, let's look at the three things. First of all, Philip was available. To be available means to be flexible, to be open, to be willing. Now, it's remarkable how available Philip was. Philip was available in adverse circumstances. The reason Philip ends up in Samaria from Jerusalem is persecution. Stephen is killed, and as, as he's killed, a great persecution breaks out in the early church. And what happens is they have to scatter, and so Stephen is part of the scattering. And what do we read? Those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed, proclaimed the Messiah there. So God uses adverse circumstances to spread the gospel. Question, brothers and sisters, are any of us facing adverse circumstances right now? Are any of us having to learn to react and hold plans loosely and give up some of our plans and figure it all out again? Yeah, we all are. COVID-19. Philip actually didn't have time to consider. He was just scattered. It was persecution. It was just react. This, was, this wasn't planned or chosen or deliberate. This was things outside of his control moved him on. And how did he react? Navel-gazing, self-pity, anger, disbelief? No. Whenever there's adverse circumstances, this is an opportunity God is giving us to share the gospel. That's how Philip thought. As one door closes, God was always opening many other doors. God's activity on earth, his mission to reach the nations with the gospel has not been stopped because of COVID-19. Of course, some doors have shut and we look for hopefully some of them to be opening soon enough. But as some doors have shut, other doors have opened. Let's be flexible. Let's continue to be flexible and available. I wonder about you then. Even now, this week, this month, how might God be using the challenges, the adversity, the situations beyond your control, the adverse circumstances to open doors for you to share the gospel. Philip was available. Secondly, Philip was available to the ministry of angels. Look at verse 26, 27. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go to the road, the desert road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. Do you believe in angels? I hope you do. Many people today are so sophisticated that they don't believe in angels is what they think. If you take the Bible seriously, you become very aware that there's an invisible realm that is peopled by intelligences. Some are fallen and are therefore conspirators with Satan, but multitudes are servants of the Lord God Almighty and probably have much more to do with our lives than we realize, protecting us, guiding us, providing for us. What do angels tell us about evangelism? That it's a spiritual battle that we're engaged with. If you want to be available to God and useful for evangelism, be prepared for the spiritual battle and persecution. Be aware and discerning, but be encouraged. The angels are there guarding you, protecting you. Every time the word of God spreads in the book of Acts, persecution heats up. 
The devil and his demons prowl around trying to find ways to shut the Christians up so they wouldn't speak. They try to intimidate the Christians. Be encouraged. The angels are there with you and they're going to help you. Be open. Be available. Be aware. Philip was not only available in adverse circumstances through the ministry of angels, he was also available through the Spirit's prompting. Look at verse 29. The Spirit told Philip, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. What did it look like for the Spirit to tell Philip? We don't know. Luke doesn't tell us what it looked like. Was it an audible voice? Was it inner conscience? Was it an inward compulsion? Was there an inner voice? We don't know, and and nor do we need to be dogmatic and pretend we know exactly what it meant for the Spirit to tell Philip. All the suggestions that I just mentioned, I think, are possible, and we need to be open to them all. So we must be sensitive. How is the Holy Spirit nudging and prompting you towards people in your circle or maybe outside of your circle to share the gospel? This week, be aware. Is the Spirit nudging me towards that person? Can I drop a message to that person? So on and so forth. So Philip was available to God through adverse circumstances, the ministry of angels, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. There's more. Philip was available. In other words, he was in, in that he was prepared for inconvenience. You see, the angel tells, uh, tells Philip uh, to, to, uh, to take a 60 mile journey from the bustling city of Samaria to a desert. 60 miles to a desert. That is inconvenient. If you're going to be available and ready to be used by God to share the gospel, we must be prepared to be inconvenienced. Stopping what we're doing, visiting unpleasant surroundings, receiving text messages in the middle of the night, making those tiring and sometimes fruitless journeys or trying to have the conversations or meet with a friend. for You you just have to keep going. I'm willing to be inconvenienced. Say no to a nice social thing so I can go and be with a friend or I know needs help. Whatever it is. Are you willing to be inconvenienced so you can be used? And fifthly, this is brilliant. Philip was available in that he was available to be used by God to reach just one person. Many of us like the idea of crowds and miracles and buzz and the drama of Samaria. That's what Matthew took took us through last week. But are we prepared for the desert for one person? And for the anonymity of it all, just one person. Are you available to be taken away from a vibrant ministry, away from the limelight, to be used by one person that no one else sees? Can God God take you in a ministry sense from a city to a desert? You see, there's no pride in Philip. Pride gets in the way of availability and therefore evangelism. Philip's given up his rights. When he came to Christ. So he says to God, you can use me however you want. I'm here to be used. Are you humble enough to be that available? Or have you told God, no, 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 God, this is the kind of ministry I must have if you're going to use me. No, no, no. God, use me as you will. One person in a desert, I'll go. So Philip was available in adverse circumstance to the ministry of angels, the prompting of the spirit for inconvenience, for just one person. Now, why was he available? He was available because he was ready. And when I say ready, I'm talking about readiness in terms of focus and conviction around the importance of the gospel. So when God leads Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch, Philip is ready to share the message. 
because he's personally convicted in its power to save as it saved him. Philip's life had a focus. He's, his life was lined up to the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. He, Philip's life had a compass that was lined up with God's compass, that the gospel must go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And that focus, that conviction in the gospel, that readiness meant that Philip was able to overcome prejudice, nerves and embarrassment when it came to sharing the gospel. Think about them. He put aside personal prejudice, whether ethnic or racial. This man, this Ethiopian eunuch, was most likely a black man uh, from the continent of Africa. The Samaritans who Philip had been reaching before, well, at least they were kind of half Jews. This man was 100% Gentile. If Philip had any prejudice, he overcame it because he was convicted in the gospel. He was ready. He put aside personal nerves. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, Philip's a nobody in the desert. I mean, just a nobody, a one on his own, lost in a desert by himself with no prestige. No one knows him. And he encounters like a royal official of the Ethiopian queen. Wow, like he could have been intimidated by the person's status. Like, oh, this person's a social status, a few above me. Like this person's got all these big harem or not harem, I should say all the pomp of, of you know, the, the queen's travel. and. He wasn't intimidated, or if he was, he overcame those nerves to share the gospel across class boundaries upwards, which can be as hard as sharing the gospel across class boundaries in the other direction, you could say. And he put aside personal embarrassment. The Old Testament forbade eunuchs from entering the temple. And Jews had been taught from time memorial to have a great distaste for any kind of sexual mutilation. Circumcision as a Jew reinforced, and Philip would have been circumcised, reinforced the value of the male genitalia. It was key to obeying God's commands to procreate, fill the earth and be numerous. So Philip, a circumcised Jew, may have had a natural awkwardness to how he was going to handle the eunuch. But he overcame this. It's amazing, really, isn't it? In God's providence, the man was reading Isaiah 53, the book of the Old Testament. Why? Well, maybe he'd been to Jerusalem for one of the festivals and was coming from it. And in Jerusalem, he'd stumbled across Isaiah 56. And in Isaiah 56, it talks about a new day, a new covenant that's going to come. And what does it say in Isaiah 56 to eunuchs? For this is what the Lord says to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath, who chooses what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I'll give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Maybe the eunuch in Jerusalem at a festival had been so astounded that he was personally addressed by the God of the universe and given a place of security and grandeur within the people of faith that he said, I've got to buy the whole of this scroll of Isaiah. I've got to read the whole thing. And as he read the whole thing, he got stuck on chapter 53. He couldn't make sense of it. Now, we don't know if this happened. That's just my retelling of the story. But I think Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, when talking about a eunuch reading Isaiah 53, expects us, who hopefully know the book of Isaiah, to join to what happens in Isaiah 56. 
You see, Isaiah 53 teaches us that we're saved not by works, but by the work of God on our behalf through his suffering servant. That we are saved not because we are of a certain race or a certain colour or have attained a certain level of moral merit. We are saved by the free grace of God as his suffering servant takes the punishment we all deserve. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, Philip read, and was deprived of justice. Why? Well, as Philip read, uh, sorry, the year and Philip read Isaiah 53, it talks about his descendants being many, all tribes, all tongues, all languages, all nations, a new community of equals. Isaiah 53 tells us the gospel of free grace. And it stripped Philip of all racial haughtiness and hostility and humbled him out of any self-righteousness regarding his sexuality. At the foot of the cross, everyone is equally humbled and equally exalted. And so one of the implications of the gospel and one of the reasons it's so powerful, whether to this black eunuch in the first century or those who struggle today around issues of race and sexuality, is that no matter what your background, no matter what your skin colour, no matter what your race, you're welcomed as equals into the family of God through faith in Christ. There's nothing like this gospel. And no matter what your sexual past, no matter what your sexual identity, no matter what the state of your genitalia, you can be given a name that is better than sons and daughters. A name that will endure forever. This is our gospel. This is its power. Philip knew it. He was convicted by it. And his conviction gave him a focus, a readiness. He was ready to share the gospel to anyone. He had to go to the ends of the earth with it. Friends, we will never be ready to share the gospel unless we are convicted of its power and know that there's no other message, there's no other person than Jesus that has this kind of power to change lives. The Apostle Paul put it like this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. We won't be ready for evangelism if we're not personally convicted of this. So Paul later goes on to say, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? Talking about people that don't know Jesus. And how can they believe in the one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Philip knew that people cannot be saved unless they believe in Jesus. And they cannot believe in him unless they hear about him. And they cannot hear about him unless someone is sent. And Philip knew God was sending him to one man in the desert. The American TV celebrity and atheist, Penn Juliet, once said this. I've always said I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there is a heaven and a hell and that people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. How much do you have to hate someone, somebody, to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody 
to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them. People cannot be saved unless they hear the message of the gospel. We must be convicted of it. If not, we'll never be as flexible and as courageous as Philip. So let me reflect to finish on a few of the tactics around evangelism that I think are important that Philip teaches us. We're available, we're ready in our conviction of its power. So what do we actually do? What does evangelism look like? Well, first, let's learn a few lessons from Philip. Firstly, he starts with a question. Do you see that verse 30? Do you understand what you're reading? We must start with questions to understand the mindset, the worldview, the fears, the objections, the hopes, the doubts, the criticisms of Christianity that someone has that we might be engaging with one-to-one. In one-to-one evangelism, we mustn't start by telling them what we know. We must start by finding out what they think and they feel. Only then will we be available to share the gospel to them relevantly. I think this is the tactical skill for evangelism today, knowing how to ask questions and listen well, to respect what our unbelieving friends say, to be sympathetic of their objections to the Christian faith, to look to find common grounds on which to build. Secondly, Philip starts with the question, but he ends with Jesus, doesn't he? Verse 35, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Not many of us will be gifted by God, I don't think, with the opportunity to stumble across someone reading the book of Isaiah and that would be, oh, can you tell me what it means? Okay, but we'll, we'll have a question or there'll be a doubt or there'll be something that gives us a starting point. And we start where the person is at, but we're not here to teach self-help. We're not here for a personal improvement plan. We're not here to find your inner peace. We're not here for any of those other tactics that the world has and we hear about all the time. We're here to tell people about Jesus. And our gospel is about Jesus. At the end of the day, we have at some point got to get to telling people about Jesus as their Lord and their Saviour. And that leads us to the next point. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, what did Philip do? He used the Bible. He explained from that very passage and went on and probably shared other parts of scriptures that helped us understand who Jesus is. What we believe about Jesus, we believe because we're told in the Bible. We cannot see people converted, therefore, without using the Bible. We're not offering some spiritual advice or a personal opinion. And we're not even as powerful as it was, say, when Audrey told her story. We're not even just offering a personal testimony, although that is maybe a, all, they might all be great starting points. When we end with Jesus, we end up having to end with the Bible, don't we? It's in the Bible we discover the good news about Jesus and nowhere else. If people cannot accept the authority of the Bible, then how will they accept the authority of Jesus and call him Lord? He might be their saviour, but is he their Lord? And so finally, this brings us on to the last point for evangelism. Philip clearly talked about the cost of being a Jesus follower because the man requests to be baptised. The message of the book of Acts, the, 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 the Christians in the book of Acts is repent and be baptised. Repent, turn from your sins and your current way of life to Jesus and his way of life. This isn't just believe the message and you'll be saved. Even the demons believe. Demons believe Jesus is Lord. They don't submit to him as Lord. That's the difference. Baptism is about submission, obedience, surrender, repentance, self-denial. Much of what we often think of people coming to Christ, like make a decision, pray the prayer, come down the front. 
they can be good and useful and important. But if our message is just pray and receive, invite Jesus into your heart, that's not doing evangelism as they did in the book of Acts. We must talk at some point to people about surrendering all of their lives to the Lordship of Christ, turning from sin, turning to in obedience to Jesus and his ways, regardless of how I feel, he's now my Lord. That is what baptism means. We have to talk to our friends about the cost of being a Christian. Isn't this great? Back in the first century, it's, no more, it's just as relevant today. Start with a question, end with Jesus, use your Bible, make sure we talk about the cost. What a wonderful passage this is for us as we think about our role in sharing the message of Jesus with our friends and family and co-workers and neighbours. The Holy Spirit wants to give us power to be available and ready to be used by God for evangelism. One person put it like this, which I really, really liked. They said, Philip was flexibly in touch with the Spirit, was firmly in touch with the Gospel, and was fondly in touch with people. I find that so helpful. I pray that I would increasingly have those three things. I, I pray that our church would have those three things in increasing measure. I wonder as I finish today, which of those three most challenges or most encourages you maybe to be flexibly in touch with the spirit when it comes to sharing the gospel, to be firmly in touch with the gospel, convicted of its power, or to be fondly in touch with people listening and engaging and starting where they are at. Compassionate curiosity with questions to engage them. Brothers and sisters, we have a commission and we have an obligation to make Jesus known to all the nations of the earth. Let's not give up. Let's keep sharing. Let's keep learning. Let's keep building relationships. Let's keep being bold. Because if even one person in a desert is converted that we never see again, it will be worth it. What price can you put on one person's soul? Don't give up. Keep being available. Keep praying. Keep going. Jesus said the gospel had to go to the ends of the earth and then he would return. Let's play our part in his great commission. I want you to imagine the moment when you get to heaven. And there is your friend, your family member, your colleague, your neighbour. And humanly speaking, they wouldn't have been there if you hadn't shared the gospel with them. What joy will be ours on that day? Keep going. Don't give up. Let's pray. Father, as uh, I think it was Andrew prayed earlier, we just long that these inspiring stories of Philip, of Stephen, of the other Christians in the early church would inspire us, that you'd fill us with that level of conviction around the gospel, that level of sensitivity to your Holy Spirit, and that level of love for those around us, that we would naturally gossip the gospel. Lord, that you'd make us sensitive, we'd learn to ask questions, we'd, we'd, we'd make sure we get to Jesus, we're not offering just some self-help. But Lord, that you would open many doors and even in these challenging times that we'd see opportunities that you're giving us for the gospel. I pray, Lord, as a church, empower us by your spirit to be available and ready to share the good news with others. In Jesus' name, amen.